This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. That's Mama by Queen of African Pop Lines, as you know, the great Brenda Fussy. And for our, for our international listeners, Fussy is F-A-S-S-I-E. Yes, Brenda Fussy. Right. Yes. Mama, rest in peace. You'll always be in my heart. Mama, God bless your soul. Oh, what, what a heavy, says. what a heavy I song. know that you're in good hands, yeah. Mama. Everyone loves their Mama. Our mothers are most precious. You all deserve to live a, a dignified life. And similarly, you deserve to die with dignity. Hmm. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is the Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com Alongside me today, Lionel Makokotlela, welcome to you Lions Thank you very much Gary, I mean I'm still in awe with the song It's such a very emotional song and very moving Yeah, yeah. Lions, today we're talking about the right to end your own life Or help a loved one who's, who's terminally ill to put an end to their suffering And our show today is about assisted dying which is a very complex subject and one that often provokes a very furious debate. Certainly. Yeah. Our special guest today is from Cape Town. He's on the line. His name is Sean Davison. And most people are familiar with the story of Professor Sean Davison. He is the New Zealander who lives in Cape Town. And he helped his 85-year-old mother, who was terminally ill, die as an act of compassion. Before I introduce Sean to you, I'd like to play a clip of an interview I did with Sean. I did this interview a few years ago with Sean. He may or may not remember it. It it is so touching and so deep and so beautiful that I have to replay it. It's only a minute or so. So, Sean, uh, just hang out. I know you're on the line. Uh, Hang with us for a moment. Uh, When we come back after the clip, I'll introduce you in more detail. 
her GP had prescribed her a weekly dose of morphine tablets. And I was collecting these tablets, but my mother was refusing to take them. She said, keep them just in case, just in case she needed to take an overdose. Of course, neither of us thought that was likely. When you're on a hunger strike, you're going to die from malnutrition. But as it turned out, these tablets she'd been hoarding, she didn't appear to be in pain. She did need them because the time came when she said, look, this, this terrible death can continue for weeks. We don't know. I've got to take an overdose. I've got to end this ghastly rotting of my flesh. And please give me an overdose. Initially, I tried to avoid this. I didn't want to end my mother's life. It was contrary to what I was doing. I was trying to make each day as pleasurable as possible in the difficult situation. And I said to her, look, Mum, I can't. You, you, you can't take these tablets. You, you're not swallowing easily enough to be able to take the 20 tablets you need to take. And it was my mother who said, look, crush them into a powder, mix them with water, and I will drink it. Me, the scientist who's crushing things into powders every day in the laboratory, hadn't thought of this. So clearly her mental faculties were working perfectly. And when that time came, when I had to think about whether to do this, initially my instinct was not to do it. But then I realized there was no decision to make. A decision implies some kind of choice. But I had no choice. It was what my mother wanted. She wanted to end her suffering and who was I to say, no, mum, you must continue suffering for another week or two? No, there, there's no choice for me to make. It was what my mother wanted. And when the time came, it was a very, very peaceful moment and indeed a moment of celebration for both of us. Sean, your mum died in your arms? Sean? Oh, it, well, I've uh, yes. Yes, she did. It was a, you've got me quite emotional listening to that interview again. Um, and as the interview concluded, it was a very special moment. Uh, she'd finally got something of a peaceful death by taking the overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a very emotional moment. She went on a hunger strike, which is a dreadful way to end your life. But when you've got no alternative, that's very often what women in particular do. They stop eating. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a dreadful way to go, to, to, for your flesh to rot on your body. Hunger strike is terrible. If only the law was different and you could die a peaceful and dignified death. Mm-hmm. Sean, you believe, well, before, before we talk to you, let me just introduce our other guest in studio, in fairness to her. She's Feline Spargo. She's a young uh, attorney and, um, oh. she got how many distinctions of matric seven? She's a very smart kid, this. Um, she's going to join us on the law today. Uh, she has, you know, her own views, but, uh, she's going to give it to us both sides, the for and against. The assisted yeah. dying. Hi, Sean. So, so yeah. Hey, good. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Sean, um, it's your belief that those suffering with a terminal illness should be allowed to die with dignity instead of forcing them to continue a life of suffering. And that's what you yeah. witnessed with your mom, and that's what you're trying to change. Yeah. Very much an individual's choice. No pressure on them, having the option available. And we find in countries where the law has changed, when the option is available, a terminally ill person doesn't take it. That doesn't necessarily take it. Mm. They're more likely to live on to the end knowing they have the security of that option available to them. So this is all about a choice, Sean. You don't have to do it. But if you want to do it, if you want to take your own life because the suffering is unbearable and you want to help someone do it, your belief 
is that it should be allowed to be done, and it's your choice as to whether you want to do it or not. That's 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 basically it. Absolutely. We're, we're really shortening the distance of the dying process. The dying process can go on for a very long time, mm. can be painful and dignified. We're really giving the individual human their basic human right to choose their time of death to end the suffering. Sean, I, for those who may not know the story, you um, assisted your mother in taking the medication, whatever you call it, and she passed away in your arms. How is it that the police got hold of you and how were you brought before a court and where was this case and what happened to you? I kept a diary of the time I was with my mother. I often keep a diary at difficult times in my life. I showed that diary to my sister and she had been working as a social worker and said, look, she's heard this type of story so often. I've got to publish it and let all those people out there in the same situation know they're not alone. Often they're really suffering alone and in anguish about having helped a loved one to die. And it's happening all the time. And with her encouragement, I published my diary as a book. Mm. And even though the details of my death, of my mother's death were left out, the original manuscript was sent to the police by another family member, and that led to my arrest, arrest for um, attempted murder, of all things, sure. and eventually a trial for where I was found guilty of assisted suicide. Where was this trial? It was in Dunedin in New Zealand. It has to occur in the place where the crime, alleged crime, mm. took place. My mother had immigrated to New Zealand and lived there. You stood to go to jail, didn't you, Sean? I mean, I think yes, you, you the, believed you would. The, the, yeah. the only previous case in New Zealand was a woman called Leslie Martin, and she did exactly the same thing and received a two-year jail sentence. Mm. Uh, it could have been even more. So going into my trial was a very high risk that I could have faced a jail sentence. I was very, very fortunate that Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote to the court pleading for a lenient sentence. He vouched my character and very kindly wrote to the court. He didn't know me at that time. Mm -hmm. And the court took note of what he said. Yeah, the archers said that a dignified death is our right. And he really strongly believes that. And that uh, he wants to be treated with compassion and he wants an assisted death to be open to him uh, when, when yes. the final curtain comes, as he calls it. And yes. uh, he supported you and that's why you, you, got, you got the house arrest instead of jail. Yes, Desmond Tutu's made an extraordinary um, contribution to the campaign to change the law, coming out so openly in support of it. Um, not only is he a Christian, he's also a follower of the African ancestral religions. Mm. To have a man of his status opening up to this law change and assisted death is really making people sit up and listen and, and talk about it. Mm. There's something I want to ask you. Um, I, I've read about it, and maybe you know more than, than I've read. What is Dignitas in Switzerland? Dignitas is a clinic that takes in people from other countries, which makes it quite unique. Other countries that have changed the law, it's only for their country. Dignitas will accept people from all over the world. Um, you have to meet certain criteria of degree of suffering, not only terminal, terminally ill, but maybe an irrecoverable illness or a physical illness like a quadriplegic. You can travel there at great expense, great discomfort and loneliness. You're leaving your hometown, your home country, your family, going to a clinic in a foreign land, 
sure the option is available, but really that's not the way people really want to die. They want to die in their own home, surrounded by their loved ones, their cats, their paintings, their books. Mm. That's what the law change is about. What is, um, is Dignitas, the clinic, actually allows you to take your own life or they assist you in doing so? Is that how it works? Yes, they don't have a doctor involved. They assist you by providing you with the drink. It's called sodium pentobarbital. Mm. And you drink it on your own or maybe with a, a, some caregiver next to you. Doctors are not allowed to be involved. Mm. I, the, the article I read, uh, Sean, says the charges, maybe a bit old this, between 4,000 euro and 7,000 euro for the assisted suicide. It's a lot of money. But I guess yes. um, if you want to be put out of your misery, that's where people can go right now. Yes, it's considerably more when you add on the airfare. Yes. You have to submit psychiatric reports, uh, medical reports. There's a, a great deal of expense involved. But to me, it's the incredible inconvenience and, and long time delay in having your application processed. Mm. Dying in another country is not, I mean, it's better than dying tragically by shooting yourself or jumping off a height. But there's an option available, but very, very expensive. Yeah. Sean, you've, you've sent something to me that I found so moving. You said on the death of your mom, you didn't believe that your mother would ever die. Because when you, were a, from a, you know, when you were a little boy, you always believed that moms would be there forever. I yes. guess we all do. I mean, my mom yeah. died a few weeks ago, so, yeah, it's a hard one for me, Liz. I know how you feel. Yeah. Your mother is the rock of your life, sometimes mother and father. But my mother was a pillar of my life. She's always there. I loved her very much, as you did yours. It's, mm. You don't ever imagine them dying. Even when they're terminally ill, you just can't contemplate it. And it's certainly to be asked to help them to die is a, a dreadful request to receive. Um, I know you, you must be feeling terrible pain at losing your mother. Mm. It doesn't matter what age you are when you lose your mother. Absolutely. It's very, very painful. Very hard to come to terms. My mom promised, sorry, Sean, I promised her and she made me promise her that I would never, I would, I would never let her die in, 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 in any form of, of, dis, of, in an undignified way that I kind of care about her. And so we had a living will drawn up. And I'm going to talk to our attorney about the validity of that. How do you feel about these living wills and how are they accepted in practice by, by doctors? Well, it's not a legally valid document. Mm-hmm. Um, also, your options are limited. If you promised her she wouldn't suffer or should have a dignified death, there's really not much you can do without breaking the law, which many people do out of the kindness of their hearts. A living will, in terms of what doctors will accept, relates to turning off a life support machine or not supplying medication if the patient doesn't want it. But it's not a legal document. It's up to the doctor whether they agree to accept it or not. Um, Many doctors do. Some don't indicate, and some indicate they will, and then they don't at the very end. Yes. So you're playing lotto with your doctor. You really need to change the law on that. Is there, I know, I know that um, your organization is called Dignity South Africa. Am I correct about that? Or have you changed the name, Dignity.org? No, or? D- Dignity SA. Yeah. Do you have a lot of opposition to what you're trying to do? Do people, you know, religious people who have different beliefs, do they write into you and say back off or, you know, get lost, whatever? There is some opposition. My feeling is it's not strong, including not from the churches. 
I've often been invited to speak to church groups, and I find they're very receptive to the idea of a law change. And in many ways, they're looking for a frame to frame it within their church, having such a law change. The opposition is not strong, and, and the opinion polls clearly show huge support in the country for law change, yeah. often around 75-80%. The Supreme Court in the United Kingdom, and this I find very interesting, has very recently passed, um, well, we gave a ruling that people in long-term vegetative state can be allowed to die without a court ruling. Well, that's my phone ringing. Sorry. Okay. Um, do you know about that one? Which is very, very uh, recent. Uh, it, 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 no, it, but it, yeah. it does make a lot of sense. This would be a situation where there's no living will and no family member making a request. Mm. You really need to appoint a, a medical power of attorney while you're in a sane, rational state. We can make a decision like that for you. Yeah. We only need to look at Nelson Mandela. He was in a vegetative state for some months at the end. And there's some squabbling over what would happen to him should the machines be turned off. If only he had written a living will, which he was very supportive of, that wouldn't have happened. May I ask you a personal question, Sean? Um, we're all going to confront death eventually. Are you scared of dying? And do you believe in life after death? Well, nobody wants to die. Uh, like anybody, I choose to live. This is how we evolved, our brain evolved. But I accept that death is coming. My only concern is how I die. Mm. I, I have no fear of death as such. But I don't want a long, lingering, painful death, which is often the case. Death is not usually pretty. It's not usually sudden. Most deaths are, are not pleasant. And we tend not to think about it until either a loved one is in that situation or we are ourselves. Yes. It's very good to be having this conversation now and thinking about it and you asking me this question and asking everybody, have you thought about death and how it might come to you? Mm. Sean, you're a professor at UCT, am I correct? At UWC. Okay. What, what actually, um, what, do you, what do you lecture in there? I'm in the biotechnology department, and my specialty is DNA forensics. Oh, really? Okay. Quite, quite different, but it doesn't matter where we come from or yeah. what our interests are. We all, we all should show interest in dying. I think you um, have been quoted as saying that women find suicide harder than men. Is that so, and why? Yes, that's yeah. true. Um, yeah. If we look at the stats, initially if you look at the assisted dying statistics from countries where the law has changed, it's a greater percentage of women. But, but then if you look at suicides all over the world, it's much more, much greatly more men are doing it. And what is happening, men are able to end their own life. They're able to compartmentalize the thought in their brain. It's part of the uh, difference in the male anatomy of their brain. They can commit suicide. A woman finds it very difficult. Mm -hmm. Consequently, they're more likely to go to a clinic. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the law... Uh, suicide is legal, but women can't do it. So it's really discriminating against women. <laughs> yeah. The law, we are hoping, and, and I'm an advocate of, of, of the change, we're hoping that there will be a change in our law, and you've got together with an MP called Deirdre Carter, who for some reason just never replies to my emails, and, and I don't know what it is. She may just be radio shy. I hope she's listening. Anyway, she does, some, she does some good work. Uh, she's introducing what we call a private member's bill into Parliament. 
in your layman's terms, if I may ask, what's it all about? We'll talk to our lawyer about it, but how did you get together with her and, and how's, what's, what's this about? Yeah, we're very, very grateful to DJ Carter because in general, politicians are very scared to put their head above the parapet on this issue. They won't think about it. They won't talk about it. They just won't get involved. Um, they're scared of votes. And you have to ask the question, what kind of country allows the elderly and the suffering to die dreadful deaths because it's too controversial? Mm. Anyway, we're very grateful to Deirdre Carter from COPE. The bill, the private member bill she's taking is relating to the advanced directive or living will, not anything to do with a sister dying, quite a separate issue. That's going to be very difficult to get through Parliament. But the bill she's taking should be okay. Um, it's really a basic right of someone who's on a life support system to have the machine turned off, to refuse medication or to refuse CPR even. Um, th these are people who are near the end and refusing medication is prolonging their life as modern medicine does. Mm. Um, so it's really legalising the informal advanced directive we have at the moment. Sean, don't go away. I'd like to talk to our uh, guest in studio, the attorney, Feline Spargo, about the bill in a little more detail. Please stay on the line. We're going to come back to you. Feline? Sure. A, a touching interview, isn't it? With yes, Sean. Yeah. Sean, sure. Yeah. yeah. Dedicated uh, son, wonderful man. Let's talk about the bill. It's a private member's bill, which is mm. which means it's not introduced by the ruling party. Mm. It's introduced by a member of of a very small opposition who yes. may have as much chance of getting this through as, as a hole in the head. <laughs> but whatever. Do you want to take us through a bit more on the legal side? Sure. So, I mean, Sean's touched on a lot of the aspects already. Um, a living will in South Africa is not a legal document. You, um, Your doctors are not obliged to go through with uh, following your wishes as expressed in any living will that you've you've drawn up or concluded or signed. Um, but really, it's there's a lot of vagueness around your medical treatment near the end of your life, particularly where um, you start losing your mental faculties, you, you're no longer able to express your wishes. Mm. Uh, and really, um, a living will, the idea of it is to step in and sort of give your doctors and your family a bit of direction as to how you would have made decisions around that time of your life. Mm. Um, quite importantly, in South African law, um, a power of attorney is only valid as long as you are able to express your own mental uh, decisions. And as soon as you are no longer um, sort of seen to help hold sufficient mental capacity, um, any power of attorney that you have is uh, is not lo no longer going to be enforceable. Um, this is why a medical power of attorney doesn't really hold any water in South Africa at all. Mm -hmm. um, does the, sorry, does the living will stand even though you lose your mental faculties? Yes, so a living will isn't um, isn't isn't like a power of attorney. So a power of attorney gives somebody the authority to act on your behalf. A living will does not give anybody the authority to act on your behalf. A living will merely expresses your wishes for treatment in certain defined circumstances, namely where you are um, not able to make your own decisions, you're not able to express your own decisions, and your body is reliant on machinery to sustain your life. Mm -hmm. And so um, a living will sometimes refer to inter interchangeably with an advanced directive. An advanced directive is actually more detailed. 
um, a living will is a bit more vague. So typically, um, and what you'll see is somebody is diagnosed with something serious and then they'll conclude an advanced directive because then they can be more specific about the type of treatment treatment they would be happy receiving or not receiving, would prefer not to receive. Mm. Um, Sorry, yes. in my living will, can I say... Please switch off the machines. I don't want to live artificially. You can. Yeah. So the the language used is a bit more technical. They, mm. you know, and quite a lot more specific. But the the general idea is, if I'm in a state where I can no longer make decisions for myself, I do not have mental functionality, and where my body is reliant on machinery to sustain its life, then it would be my decision that you would switch off the machines. Mm. And I respectfully request that my family and my medical practitioners respect those wishes. Now, as I said, it's not legally enforceable. Mm. So really when I'm talking to my clients, the idea is that it gives your family peace of mind about any decision they may have to make mm. if you're, you are in that circumstance and a doctor looks to your family mm. and goes, What must I do? Mm. What must I do? Mm. Absolutely. Lions, you want to... Yeah, yeah, no, I just wanted to actually find out, uh, can I, within the living will, can I actually talk about the pain management, the personal grooming that I would like to be taken care of in the event that I'm actually a vegetable? For example, bathing instructions in terms of how I need to be treated spiritually, religiously, as well as the emotional support. Can those be actually uh, included in the living will? Lionel, so because this is not a legal document, you can put whatever you like in okay. your in your living will. You could also, um, so so typically when you're talking about more detailed instructions, that would be more along the lines of the advanced directive where you talk about specific treatment and specific circumstances of treatment. Um, whereas the living will is generally a little bit more general, um, just talking about if I am ever in that state then I, I don't want you to unnecessarily prolong my treatment, except insofar as um, it would be for pain mitigation or, or to make me more comfortable. But certainly, because it's an expression of your wishes, if you had an idea of very detailed um, instructions or wishes that you would like for your personal hygiene, for your treatment, you're more than welcome to express those in a living will. Just before, bef uh, just to close it off, can I also give details with regard to my uh, funeral arrangement as well as the memorial? Because in my case, I actually told my family that I would like to be cremated as opposed to be buried. But well, sorry, won't that go in your normal will? Can we call it your last will? Your last so will. Maybe you can distinguish for us as yeah. well, Lanz and um, Feline. The distinction between a living will and your last will. Excellent. Mm. So your last will and testament, your your last will, your actual will, mm -hmm. is a formal legal document. There are legal formalities that need to be met when you're um, when you're concluding a will. Um, your actual will has to be submitted on your desk to the master of the High Court in South mm. Africa, and the master then will issue your letters of executorship, and that sort of is the the start of the winding up process of your estate. Mm. You can certainly mention whether you would prefer to be cremated, buried, or any funeral instructions you have in your last will. What's important about your last will is because it's a valid legal instrument, it's binding. And so what we generally say to our clients is if you feel, whether it's for cultural reasons, whether it's for familial reasons, whether it's for just your personal preference, if you feel that there will be anything contentious about your wishes as expressed in your living will, you can put, put and particularly relating to burial, um, 
wishes and cremation and, and, and that sort of um, where you would like your ashes to be scattered. If you feel there will be any contention around it, if you feel that your family will push back against it, you're welcome to put that in your actual will. Your actual will has to be abided by um, within within certain parameters of the law, obviously. But your living will, mm. obviously, it's not a legally binding instrument. So if your family would want to overrule it and let's say you wanted your ashes scattered. Um, that sounds city. So that your family visit you at least once a month. No, no <laughs> yeah. listen, I was going to go, if you want your ashes scattered in Switzerland somewhere. Yeah. If your family, it's not practical for them, for 20 people to have to get on a plane and go to Switzerland. Maybe they would rather overrule your wishes. That can happen then if your wishes are in a living will. Mm. If your wishes are in a will, it becomes much more difficult. Yeah. Sean, um, don't, are you still there with us? We have a bit yeah, of noise sure. in the background. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add on to the living will and the will while we're on that subject? Well, I just wanted to comment that in North America, 64% of doctors have living wills and less than 20% of the public. Really? The doctors yeah. know what it's like at the end and how few options are available. And, yeah, they don't want to be kept alive and they don't want CPR. The public, if they were aware of how poor the options are at the end, would probably also have living wills. There's um, a famous case of Strancham Ford. He was uh, an advocate in Cape Town, I think. I think you knew him well, Sean, or you knew him? Yes, I did. Uh, He was terminally ill and went to the court seeking an assisted death. He he, he was dying. And the high court granted him an assisted death on the same day he died. Mm. Now, that set a legal precedent where the court and the government were now on different pages and couldn't continue like that. And so the government challenged it in the Supreme Court of Appeal, and that high court decision was overruled. Let's just ask Feline about that. What was the rationale for the uh, Supreme Court of Appeal overruling what the initial judge had, had said? So the Supreme Court of Appeal overruled the decision on three bases. Really, the first was um, that that the judgment wasn't able to be carried out because um, Robin... Robert, he was known as Robin Rob, as well. Yeah. Yeah. He he passed away about two hours before the judgment was actually delivered. Amazing, and, isn't and, it? and the yeah. judge wasn't wasn't aware at the time he was delivering the judgment that he had passed away. But yeah. because of him no longer being alive, the judgment which was in his favour was no longer able to be carried out. So the Supreme Court of Appeal really said the case falls away. It's it's not the kind of litigation that can continue mm. through the estate. It doesn't make sense because it was all about whether he was allowed, him personally, mm. was allowed to be assisted in, in his, taking yeah. his death. Yeah. The second um, the second factor that uh, made the court overrule the decision was really um, that the Supreme Court of Appeal felt that there needed to be a much more thorough investigation into the law around assisted suicide, around... Um, euthanasia and around really South African law taking into context um, international law as they're bound to by the by the constitution and taking a much deeper look at 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 this um, sector of our law mm. the trouble was because this was an urgent application because he needed it on urgent grounds yeah, because he was yeah. passing away and and, mm. and suffering mm. um the court wasn't able to take the right amount of time to apply its mind. So, for instance, in, in some of the other jurisdictions where decisions around 
um, assisted suicide and and um, assisted euthanasia have been made. Just the, the judges grapple with these decisions for five to six months. Uh, this this judgment was delivered in under a month, um, about a half a month actually. So um, that was the second decision and, and, and the second rationale. And the third was really that um, the Supreme Court of Appeal held that they wanted more facts and more more medical support and more uh, affidavits and more information to be placed before them to make an informed, thorough decision. And just because of the urgent nature, primarily because of the urgent nature of um, the High Court um, action, that wasn't able to, to come to fruition. Cool. Let's go back to the private bill that uh, the MP is trying to pass. Sean, you still with us? Where is that bill at the moment, and and is it has it got any traction? And is it, what, what, uh, I'm not sure the time frame, but it's coming up very soon this yeah. year. I'm not sure when it's going to be tabled. Um, but if I could quickly comment on the Robin Strength and Ford case, yes. we're going we're going back to court this year. We've got another case or two cases that have been filed already in the High Court mm. uh, in response to the Supreme Court appeal. They wanted a more thorough investigation. Yes, we're going to give it to them. We've got a terminally ill doctor, Dr. Sue Walter. She's an oncologist of all people, dealt with many people dying from cancer. She's got a longer prognosis of about two years. Do you know she was on my show? Is she a palliative doctor? Um, Sue, Sue was on I my show some years ago. Yeah. Well, she really oh, probably, yeah. probably before she was sick. Yes. Yeah, I'm talking yeah, uh, two, three years ago. She was on my show. She yeah. would have been on your show. Did quite a bit of media. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, tragically, mm. she's got a short time left to live, but she's mm. courageously taking her case to court. Mm. As she came to Dignity SA first, we're going to be one of the plaintiffs. Wow. Um, in the situation where she might die during the court case, we're, we're now ready for that. Mm. And Dignity SA are representing all terminally ill people in the country, so the case can continue. There's going to be a double act because there's a man with motor neuron disease, um, Hak Dita. And he will be in the same court hearing. He's not terminally ill, so it's quite a different category. But there'll be plenty of time, plenty of opportunity for the opposition to present present their case. Mm. So we're meeting the request of the Supreme Court of Appeal. Excellent, excellent. Who knows, um, Deirdre Carter may get the law amended. There is a possibility. Gary, I just wanted to find out from a legal point of view, if I do happen to have a a living will where I actually indicate my wishes in the event that I become a vegetable and I happen to have a policy with one of the insurance companies, if then I actually request for an assistant death, is my insurance company going to pay off my premiums? It is such a good question. We've got the best person in studio to answer that. Feline, yeah. Because I I think most of us, absolutely, you've you've got family, so you need to think about them as well in the event that you're not there. Let me just start off by asking you, if you commit suicide shortly after taking out a policy, do you get paid out? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so important to note, in terms of now, I'm not talking civil law, I'm talking criminal law, Mm. uh, suicide is not a crime. However, assisting with suicide is a crime currently, and um, it's either culpable homicide or murder. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a you, you actually touch on a lot of complicated uh, legal nuances around around um, assisted suicide. So, insurance policy, uh, insurance providers rather are really hesitant before they make any payouts 
um, when there is a death policy, you know, there's a lot of fraud going on in the in the death policy sphere. And insurance uh, companies do quite thorough investigations to make sure that they're not being defrauded. Um, to a large extent, it will depend on their policy wording. And I think, you know, because assisted suicide is no longer um, – well, it's, it's, it's not yet – um, something that's permissible in South African law, um, your insurer would probably try and, and fight back. There was a case that was actually cited in the Supreme Court of Appeal judgment um, that we've just been speaking about um, where really a husband uh, and a wife colluded, so to speak. The husband was in dire, he'd done some fraudulent acts and he was in a dire financial status and he um, and he really wanted to commit suicide so that his wife could benefit. There's a principle in South African law called the Blutigerhand, and it, it really bloody hands do not inherit anything. Not inherit yeah. anything, and so you've you've got a, a really difficult situation there, where if you stand to inherit or receive a death benefit um, from somebody whose death you play a part in, mm. the law is not going to look favorably yes. on that. Um, you know. Some of the other complex issues that come into play are factual causation versus legal causation. So these are all legal tests that go to considering whether you are playing a part in an outcome, um, whether there was uh, an interruption in the causation or whether your your action as part of making something happen like a like an assisted death um, can be seen as really directly contributing towards that. If there was a direct contribution, I can't see that you'll be able to receive your policies. The insurance uh, providers will definitely well, push yeah. back. The, the, the only problem that I see with the private bill that's been lodged is that it's not lodged by the ruling party. It's lodged by, a, as I said earlier, by a member of, of a very tiny opposition. And um, these private members' bills are, you know, anyone can lodge, as long as you're not a cabinet minister. If you're a member of parliament, you can lodge anything. Whether it gets passed or not is uh, is is mute. Um, one of the private members' bills lines we've mentioned this one before that was passed was the uh, father's opportunity to take paternity leave, mm -hmm. and it was lodged by a member of the ACDP, which stands for the African Christian Democratic Party, and they succeeded in getting it through a private members' bill. Well done. So there you are. So maybe this one may get passed. In which event it would be. A relief for people like Sean and people like me and people that believe in 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 not allowing people to die undignified deaths. Yeah, Sean, you're still around. Uh, I was going to comment that yeah. sometimes when you have main party introducing any legislation, the other parties don't support it. It's, it's like a kindergarten in Parliament. Um, sometimes coming in with a small minor party is the way to do it, and it might become bipartisan after that. Sure. You've been coined, just uh, as, a, as a bit of a funny aside, the euthanasia professor. Do you know oh, that? Yeah. Right. You've been fighting. Nursing, I mean, you, your yeah. name is all over the world. You've been fighting a global battle to legalize euthanasia. How's this journey been for you for the last number of years? Ooh, it's been difficult because I get approached by a lot of people in the public who've had terrible experiences or they want help to help mm. a loved one to die. Um, but in terms of a law change, well, when you're seeking a law change, you have to be prepared for the long haul. And, yeah, I'm prepared for it. It's going to be a long haul. Yeah. You won't stop until you get, get it, get it yeah. done, get the job done. This is such, this cause is so, so right. Mm. To me, there's no argument. 
that can stand against it. It's an individual suffering terribly at the end of the life. It's their choice. Nobody else's, not even their family. Nobody but theirs. It's such a simple thing. I but guess, Sean, I guess what really pushes you to do this, you saw your mum, forgive me for being graphic, but her body was rotting in, your, in front of you. It, have I got that right? It's called mutation. Yes. It's just explain what you saw, and that's why you're so passionate about changing this law so that people don't see their loved ones going the way your mother did. What, what did she go through? Yeah. Look, like everybody or most people, I'd never thought about euthanasia when my mother went on a hunger strike. I, I didn't know how to spell the word. And here I was confronted with my mother going on a hunger strike. Okay, I accepted that. She was a um, very intelligent woman. Her life was near the end. She was a medical doctor and knew what was coming up in terms of the cancer. It was her decision. I thought, okay, that's courageous. I support you. And you're going to die. Of course, you're going to die before me. I accept it. I never thought I'd be helping her to die. That, that changed the equation completely because she's on a hunger strike. Surely she's going to die of malnutrition. Okay, then I did help her and everything's changed. We've now committed assisted dying or euthanasia and then I started applying my mind to this. And My, my first thing was when everyone started saying, shh, 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 don't tell anybody. The family was saying, hush, hush, we can't let anybody know our mother committed suicide. And then I thought, well, why? It was a, a very courageous, intelligent thing to do. The most rational thing she could have done was to end her life if it had been more dignified. And then I realized that we tend to think of suicide as emotional, um, really Romeo and Juliet type uh, tragedies. But really, suicide can be a very, very rational thing to do and, and can be the most rational thing. And here I am campaigning for a law change to show how rational it can be. Yeah. Now, do you want to ask Sean something? Yes, Sean, I just find your story quite courageous and quite moving. I just wanted to find out, with regard to wrapping up uh, the estate of your mom, did you guys face any legal challenges with regard to the fact that she was uh, actually, she actually was assisted in terms of her uh, transiting to the other side of the world? Oh, I didn't quite catch the question. The question was, did you guys face any challenges legally when uh, they were wrapping her estate? in terms of inheriting anything from her estate? Oh, um, no. I, uh, no, it's a good question. I've never really thought so about it. It's a good, good, very good question. Yeah. I've never asked uh, you that. Yeah. I was found guilty of her assisted death. You're right. Technically, I should inherit nothing. Um, but that was never raised, actually. She had four children, yeah. and her estate was split four ways. I guess I, it could have been challenged in court, and I should have been denied everything. Yeah. Good question. It didn't happen, though. You may have to pay it back. (laughs) (laughs) Don't use it. Sean, it's always an absolute treat and a pleasure to talk to you. There's one thing I just want to remind our listeners about. National Wills Week is coming up from the 17th to the 21st of September. And uh, if you want a list of all the attorneys participating in the the various areas in the country, go to the Law Society uh, of South Africa's website yes. and they give you the list of the attorneys and you you don't have to pay uh, Zach. It's not often that lawyers give you a freebie but this is one of the times <laughs> that they will. If it's a simple will, don't go there if it's something complex or you want to trust or anything. If you want a free simple will, please, you've got till 
We've got a few weeks left, 17 to 21. That's right. Yeah, it's a good initiative, wonderful. And I think people should actually take out that uh, opportunity just so that they can actually familiarize themselves with what a will is and what sort of information needs to be inside a will and how to actually manage it and how it's going to be managed in the event that they are not there because most people actually don't understand that whole process as, a, yeah, at all. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want a living will, please go to, just Google it, just put living will and you'll pick up a hundred of them on the on the web. Download one and change it and add in and do what you like. It's all there for you. Sean, you wanted to say something? No? Oh, no, um, I think you're getting near the end. I wanted to say thank you for getting people talking. The main problem in our society and, and Western society is we don't talk about these issues. And mm-hmm. the more we talk about it, the more familiar, the more educated and the more understanding we become. So thank you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You have uh, polls running or people can vote or something or other that we can join with you, people that feel strongly about this? Where do they go? Uh, we'll probably get one going. We, we do have Twitter with 10,000 followers. Okay. Dignity SA, I'm not quite sure of the Twitter handle, but you can find it on our website. Will you tweet um, out the podcast of the show, Sean, to your members? I'm oh, not sure. Okay, yeah. yes. I'll talk to Lee last. I'll tweet her. She'll do cool. that. Excellent. Um, good. Before you go, I just want you to know that our attorney in studio is, doesn't quite practice now. She was with a very prestigious firm, Cliff Decker. Hoffman. Cliff Decker Hoffman. Yeah. You are now with whom and what do you do? I'm now with Chartered Legacy and Trust. Uh, we look after will, um, clients' wills, estates. Uh, we help them with uh, their trust work as well. Lots of estate planning. We work together with Chartered Wealth Solutions, a retirement financial planning company. And, uh, yeah, we help make the big life transitions easier for them. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Where do people, um, are you in Johannesburg or are you countrywide? Or? Yes, yeah. So yeah. we, uh, our client base extends all over the country, but oh. our offices are based in Joburg, Dunkeld West, okay. um, Chartered Legacy and Trust. We've got a website. Go have a look. Cool. Thank you so much for making your way here. We really appreciate it. You know your stuff, although you don't deal with the day to day, but you really do. To Sean Davison. Sean, we love you to bits. Keep up the good work and, uh, no one wants to see their loved ones suffer. No one, no one, not even me when my mom was passing away. Um, yeah. I, I, I dedicate this show to my mom. Yeah, good on you. Yeah, yeah I, I know exactly how you feel. My heart bleeds for you. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. This is CliffCentral.com.